Okay, so here we go. This is the women's shear on, on Parsha's bow. Here's my goal today. The goal is a serious knowledge drop about something that's going on in Shul that you may not notice. Okay, you may not be aware of it. So in order to have the best understanding of this, to open up the Sidurim to page... No, no, there's, it, it, you know, it's not so crucial. Okay, in page 418. 418. Now, last week, we talked about the bracha that follows the Shema and how when we say Hashem, we're really talking about these powers that we talked about last week, below, on, and above. And I hope that when you heard the Pesukim in last week's parsha, you heard them a different way when, 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 when we read them. But here, in general, there's a rule that you answer amen when you hear a bracha. Um, there are exceptions there are all kinds of exceptions to that. You're saying Shimona Esrei, you're in the middle of your devotional prayer, you don't interrupt to answer Amen to any bracha. Okay? But one of the important exceptions is alluded to on the bottom of 418. So right as we're saying these words, Micha Mochel Hashem, and they sing a song, and, and we say, they crowned you and said, Hashem Yimloch Olam I'm on the very last line. They crowned you and said, Hashem uh, shall reign for all eternity. Here are the, in, the instructions in this sitter say as follows. It is forbidden to interrupt or pause between Ga'al Yisrael, that's going to be on the next page, and Shimona Esrei, even for prayer responses. So as you turn the page, in some shuls, including this one, on Shabbos, we sing this. One of the, pers- one of the purposes that we sing this is that everybody's saying it together. Because that's the best way to execute this part of the davening. When you're at a minion, is to sing it together. And so we sing it with the, with the <coughs> own tune, Sur Yisrael, Tum Yisrael, okay? And then the Baruch Atah Hashem, Ga'al Yisrael. Blessed are you, God, who redeemed Israel. We go from there right into the Shemona Esrei. And that means that we don't answer Amen. Now, why do we not answer Amen here? So as not to make any interruption between acknowledging that the Almighty is the Redeemer of Israel, and asking for our needs. Not allowed to make any interruption on this. There's a similar dynamic at Mariv, but it's different, in that we also have this bracha of Ga'al Yisrael. Then there's another blessing of Hashkivenu. Then outside the land of Israel, most have the custom of even another blessing. That's for a totally separate reason. And there's a half a Kaddish. Okay? And then we go into the Shemona Esrei. You're also not allowed to make any interruptions then. Now that's a little different, and maybe we'll explore why that's a little different at night. But this notion is called smichas geula latvila, which means uh, flowing directly from Gaal Yisrael into prayer. And it is heavily guarded. So we sing it so that the chazan and the people are saying the bracha at the same time. And if the chazan and the people are saying the bracha, they say, anyway, you don't answer amen. Because you don't answer amen to your own bracha. So we just say it together. In some environments, you'll find that they, the chazan, especially on weekdays when we don't sing it, you'll find that the chazan swallows the last two words. 
so as not to have people answer Amen. That, by the way, is questionable. Okay? In other words, our Rosh Hashiva, Rabbi Yaakov Weinberg, my wife's grandfather, once heard of the Chazan in the Yeshiva, and let me just say that it's rare that boys in the Yeshiva are the Chazan on the weekdays. Very rare. Because there's usually a mourner. And mourners have the right to leave the Yeshiva. For whatever reason, but it could be there's holiday days or whatever it is. For whatever reason, there was one day there was a Chazan, and the Rosh Hashiva called him over to correct him. Now, I know the story because I was the Chazan. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was the Chazan, and I kind of laid back on the Gali Yisrael a little. I took my foot off the pedal, so to speak. And he called me over and he said, the custom of the yeshiva is to say those words out loud. And I, as people are wont to do, especially when they're young and, and immature and not wanting to face their mistakes, I kind of said, well, I didn't. And it was just like, you did. You know, like, no excuses. Now, people do withdraw their voice there so that others don't answer amen. But the reason that it's, he deemed it inappropriate, and I've heard this from others, and it's, it's, I think it was very well known, said by Rob Soloveitchik, also the same thing, is that the purpose of the chazan is to say things out loud so that those who don't know how to pray can fulfill their obligation with them. And therefore, who is he to stop there and not say it out loud, and then people don't hear and can't answer or can't have intent with his words if they're unlettered and incapable of praying. So therefore you have to say it out loud. But the central discussion I want to have today is what's the whole big deal? Okay. Why do you have to go from Gaal Yisrael right into prayer? Okay, and to explore this in the Chumash, you can open to 358. You'd never see this in the Chumash. There's no way that anyone would notice this when, when they were reading the Chumash because it's not actually noticeable at all. Um, actually, let's go back one page, 356. On 356, this week's Parsha, it says, and this should not surprise you that this is the Torah reading of the first day of Pesach. Okay? We're leaving Egypt here. So it should be the Torah reading of the first day of Pesach. It says in the open space there, which is Chavtes, uh, verse 29, and it was in the middle of the night. God smote each firstborn of the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Paro who was sitting on his throne, even including the captives firstborn who was stuck in uh, the pit or jail, the whole Bechor Behema, and all animal firstborns also. Now, by the way, incidentally, this is an amazing miracle because besides the fact that just generally gen wiping out a lot of people isn't a miraculous idea, but who knows who's a Bechor? How do you know who the firstborn is? That's the, the biggest secret of secrets. In other words, only could you, you'd have to know, okay, you can know in certain family structures, but generally among adults, how, how would you possibly know? So the Rabbonus knows, of course. Vayakom Paro Laila. Paro got up that night. Him and all of his servants and all Mitzrayim, and there was a great scream in Egypt because there was nobody, there was no house where there wasn't somebody who passed away, which Rashi tells us means that even if there wasn't a technical Bechor, somebody was wiped out. The eldest man in the house, or whatever it may be. He called to Moshe and Aaron, Lila, at night, and said to them, Go out, get out of here. Go and do exactly as you've been asking all along. So, this is the moment. Now, I gotta just tell you, and this is itself worthy of a long discussion, which we're not gonna have right now. 
Rav Hirsch writes about this so magnificently in his chapter in Chorev about not eating chametz. That this salvation was not fought by any soldier. There was no person who made any contribution to the Jewish people leaving Egypt. At this moment, they're all in their houses eating the carbon Pesach. Now, liberation, people think liberation is created by man, right? It's the uprising of these or those that create liberation. That is not the Jewish view. Most of the time, almost all of the time, there's some mixture of the Almighty and his uh, inspired individuals who lead the charge, like the Maccabees or something like that. <coughs> the Rebbe is doing it, but he sends messengers. In the archetype salvation, which remember, which is the salvation of all time, man made no effort at all. The gates of the dungeon opened because the Rebbe declared them open. That's the great salvation of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Hashem did it all alone. And that's why, as we said last week, that's part of the focus of the Seder, is why it's all about God. Because he's the only one who did it. Man cannot be any, in any way confused about that. So here they are at night. He calls out to them because they are eating the carbon paste up. Get out of here. Go. It's nighttime. And I'm going to fast forward now to the bottom of page 358. Okay, The second to last verse, third to last line, Mem Allah 41. Vayihim ikesh loshim shana and it was after 430 years. Now that count of 430 is not from when they arrived in Egypt. It's from the time well before that, well, well before that, that God had promised Avraham and then followed by the birth of Yitzchak and so on. And that itself deserves attention. That's not for now. And it was on this very day, the Jewish people left immediately. Okay, now, that means that it was, Be'etzem Hayom Hazem means it was on this day. And Bayom means more than just this calendar date, it means in daytime. They, daytime they left. So the dungeon opened at night, but they didn't leave until the morning. That's an important point. And it goes back to discuss night again, and so on, and I'm not gonna, we don't have to go further into it. But the idea is, that there's a two-part, there's a two-part leaving. There's the leaving that happened when the dungeon was opened, and there's the actual leaving that happened in front of all of the people. There was no, there was no running out at night. Okay, so this question, if somebody said, well, when did Yitzhak Mitzrayim happen? When did Exodus happen? Essentially, it happened during the day, but it also happened at night. You follow that idea? They were almost granted, they were granted permission, instructed to leave at night, but they left a nation. Can you imagine some very large percentage? I mean, there's no way to describe this, by the way. If you came only for the following detail, I think this was, is worth coming to this class, this following thing I'm about to say. I don't think our minds could possibly get wrapped around an idea of many millions of people leaving at one time from inside of a country that had enslaved them for 210 years. And with no war, only the hands of God. You'll know that, of course, it says later on there are 600,000 men. It's obvious that there must be a commensurate number of women, and there are small children and there are older adults, because this is only from 20 to 60, the, the men. So it's perfectly reasonable to believe that there couldn't possibly be less than 2 million, and it's probably more like 3 million people who leave. That's an unfathomable number, okay? 
But the Talmud, and some of you I'm sure have heard this from me before, the Talmud in Masechta Bechoros asks, why did God grant um, sanctity to the firstborn of the donkeys? Okay, because we only find Kedusha, sanctity, by kosher animals. It doesn't make sense. You, you, you generally cannot offer as a korban, and not generally cannot offer as a korban, any treif animal. And it just doesn't add up that these animals are called timaeos. They're called impure. That's the, the species called impure. How does it add up that the donkey is sanctified and you have to redeem it with a, with a sheep? As you know, that mitzvah is called Pidyon Petr Hamori merited to do it here a few years ago. So... Was the donkey firstborn not killed when all the firstborn animals got killed? I'm certain that it was killed. It was. I'm certain it was. In other words, all of the Egyptian firstborn animals were killed. Oh, okay, right. Anything that belonged to them. So it's not dependent. right. So there the binary is Jewish or Mm non-Jewish, not kosher or not kosher, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm certain it must have been. Gemara asks, why is it that the Torah commands that if you have a firstborn donkey, it's, it's holy? I mean, it's a very good question. It's, it's, it's so strange. If you've never heard this word, it's, it's it, like I'm already assuming you know this. It's incredibly strange. A donkey should be called kodosh, holy. It's a trafe animal. So here, there, the, the Talmud says, the donkey is sanctified because no Jew left Egypt with fewer than 90 donkeys carrying its gold and silver. So because they slept the gold and silver of the Jewish people out of Egypt, they, their species became holy forever in this one way. And anything that has to do with Bechor, firstborn, has to do with these moments we're talking about. Anything that has to do with firstborn, it, 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 it emanates from the leaving Egypt moment when our firstborns were saved and theirs were smote. So nobody left without 90 donkeys carrying gold and silver. Now, what I'm about to say, most people can't even imagine, and I think I'm joking, but I mean, I'm just it's straight here. If we assume that it means only the men who were counted, just to minimize the number, because it's not clear from the Gemara, maybe it means the men, women, and children. Nobody left without 90 donkeys carrying their gold and silver. But let's just argue it's only the men. So if you multiply 600,000 times 90, okay, just I want you to follow the math. 600,000 times 10 is six million. Six million times nine is 54 million donkeys what? went Where? through the Red Sea. Where'd they get all those donkeys? <laughs> Can't even imagine. Yeah, you're right. By the way, mathematically, it's hard to believe that there were 54 yeah. million donkeys yeah, yeah. in the world, right. let alone in Egypt alone. Right. <laughs> but we have to take the Gemara on its word. Everybody has imagery in their heads, everybody, about these scenes. It's influenced by the movie The Ten Commandments. It's influenced <laughs> by you know the books that you have, your Haggadah, the chill, art school children's Haggadah. It's influenced. Open your mind to the lanes that went through the Yamsuf, carrying three million people and fifty-four million donkeys with their stuff. Can't even conceive. You're right. You can't. You you actually can't make a wide enough image in your right. You can't get your numbers are just mind-boggling. I mean, I don't. I don't even know what 
I guarantee you there aren't 54 million donkeys in America. <laughs> okay? So it would be like, the American equivalent would be like, like you have the... Dogs. Um, right. <laughs> probably have 54 million dogs. You think so? Even, even, that's even, a low number. I don't know. I, I, even that maybe not. I know 37% of American households have pets. You know, so I don't know. Oh, really? It's 98%. I have that. You don't see many children. You yeah. only see dogs. Okay. I know that feeling. So, but imagine that you're talking about something like, you're talking about something like the population of, I don't know, 3 million is like the population of. Wuhan, China. No, it's, it's like the whole Detroit area. Right. It's like the whole, and they all got, and they the all come with cars, yeah. but not one car a person. Right. They come with, right, and they go through the Yamsuf, and they all get through, and then before, they do right, right, yeah. yeah. Okay, so you got to open your head to this imagery, okay, yeah. and that's filled with gold and silver, right? Okay, so that's why they become, that's how they become sanctified. Thank you for schlepping for Kuala Yisrael. Right. By the way, just as a side point, and I hope we'll get to the other point. We have to get to the other point. I see we're running short on time already, but. There's a, a, a very good question asked. You know, the dog is also rewarded. Didn't bark. The dog didn't bark. So it says later in the Torah that when you have a, uh, a non-kosher piece of meat, you throw it to the dog. Okay? It's a reward to the dog. So the question is, which is the greater reward? Becoming a sanctified animal or getting a piece of meat? You would say that He's becoming a, I don't know. <laughs> if you're a dog, right? But in terms of the Torah's hierarchy of things, it would seem that Kedusha, sanctity, is greater than a piece of meat. And yet the dog, the dog went against its nature. That you would seem to think should get more reward than the donkey who went with its nature. It slept. That's what donkey does. It schleps. So why is there a greater reward for the schlepper who goes with his nature and the dog who broke his nature, so to speak, and didn't and didn't and didn't uh, uh, you know bark. I forgot who I heard this from. Beautiful idea. Because to not do bad for Kali Yisrael, the Jewish people, which is what the dog did, it didn't do bad. Kept quiet. That deserves reward. But to serve the Jewish people, like the donkey did, for that the Rebbeim gives even much greater reward. Even if it's your nature. By the way, you yourself might have in your nature. You're generous, you want to be a volunteer, whatever it is. And there's great reward. Because if you serve the Jewish people, even if it's in your nature, there's great, great reward for that. Higher and higher sanctity. Okay, let's get back to our central question, because I really want to drive this point home. Central question was, what's with this idea that you have to go from Ga'al Yisrael, the blessing of God is the savior of the Jewish people. Which, by the way, if you read it clear, and I already meant made this point, it's really talking about the exodus from Egypt. We recognize that the Rebbe Shalom took us out of the land of Egypt. And then we have to go right into prayer. Well, this is found in just a few lines in the Talmud. Gemara says in Masechta Brachas, near the beginning, on page... Four B, Daladam Abiz. The Gemara says that Rabbi Yochanan says, "Who merits to be a person who's called a Ben Haolam Haba, 
a person of the next world. That's like not, that's even a step beyond guaranteed to get a portion of the next world. But who is a person of the next world? Rabbi Yochanan says, this is somebody who is so mech ge'ulu who goes like a green light from Gal Yisrael right into davening at Marav, at night. Now, Rashi right away says to us, it means even at night. Because everybody knows that the morning is more important than the night. And the Talmud goes through a discussion, which is a difference of opinion between Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, about whether or not you have to go from the Shema and its blessings directly into prayer at night. Everybody agrees you have to do it in the morning. Now, their discussion is, everyone acknowledges that the main exodus was during the morning. But, Rabbi Yochanan holds that the, the exodus piece that happened at night is also significant. And Rabbi Yoshub and Levi, who has, says that you don't go, and he has, a valid, by the way, a valid argument, because it says about Shema, when you arise and when you go to sleep. That's the language of when we're supposed to read Shema. So he argues it means the first thing when you get up before davening, and the last thing when you go to sleep, even after davening. And he's not talking about bedtime Shema. He's talking about the mitzvah of Shema itself that happens at Marav. But, he, but the reason he believes that is that the nighttime was not really the exodus. So again, everyone agrees that the essential exodus was during the morning. And there's an argument about whether the nighttime exodus, when Paro was fed up and sent them out, which we just read in the Chumash, is that of significance enough to require that you go from one into the other? So it's a little esoteric. It's a little... needs It requires more explanation I fill in the blanks like still but what's the big deal and moreover what a wonderful ticket can you imagine all you have to do is go to Yisrael Hashem's Tiftach and you go to the next world <laughs> easy easy peasy that's great that's fantastic it's like if I would give you the code to get a free pass in the next world who wouldn't grab it so here there are many comments by the early commentators and I want to read to you Rashi First, we're going to understand Rashi. Rashi says on this page in the Talmud, and even more so Shachris, as I said to you, the Talmud said at Marav, even if you do it at night, you get Olam Haba. Even more so Shachris. Because the main redemption from Egypt happened in the morning, because it says elsewhere, I said Be'etzamayama, there's a hint to it, but elsewhere it says, Mimachras HaPesach, the morning after they, the morning after they offered the Karim Bezach, they left. Now, here he gives us two reasons, Rashi. The first one requires a certain kind of um, willingness to understand how the Talmudic method works, even though you may not understand it ex- exactly. The first one he says is hinted to by King David. Because in the book of Tehillim it says, in the end of chapter 19, Hashem tsuri Ali, God is my rock and my redeemer. And immediately after that, at the opening of the 20th chapter, it says... God will answer you on a day of difficulty. So in other words, it says, God is my rock and my redeemer. Hashem will answer you on a day of difficulty. If you see that rock and redeemer in the verse by King David, it's immediately followed by, therefore God answer me, like you're acknowledging that God is your rock and your redeemer, then by the nature of that, you should flow right into prayer. But it's hinted to in the verses. 
The second reason we quote the Yerushalmi is much more clear to us. Second reason he says, anyone who does not go from Geula, the prayer that thanks God for taking us out of Egypt, right into his own personal prayer, asking for his needs, to what can he be to what can he be compared? To a beloved friend of the king who comes to the king's door and knocks on the door. The king comes to the door and finds that whoever knocked went away. Right? Maybe you recall doing this when you were a little kid. Okay. I think it has more than one name. In Skokie, Illinois, in my time, it was called Ding Dong Ditch. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you 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 come to the door. God comes to the door. The king comes to the door, and he finds that whoever whoever was here ran away. He too runs away. Yeah. The king also runs away. He says, "You don't. You you. I, I came to the door to answer you." And then you weren't even there, so almost to say, next time when you ring, I'll, I won't be so I won't, be, I won't be so available. I won't be so quick to do it. Where was the king's servant? <laughs> say again. Where was the king's servant? Why did he answer? <laughs> oh, I think it maybe it's like his son or his whatever. It's a relative, right? <laughs> Special treatment. So he says, rather a person should come close to the holy one, blessed be he, and warm him up through the praises about taking us out of Egypt. And then the king comes close to him too. Hashem comes close to him too. And when they're still close together, he should ask for his needs. Okay, so there's a big thing happening here. It's not a small thing to say 3,300 and something years after, thank you Hashem, you took us out of Egypt. It's a big thing to recall what happened and, and use the same words Moshe and the nation used and to admit and acknowledge that you did this for us, it's a big thing. And the Rebbeinu Shalom is now ready to say, fine, I'll, 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 I'm ready to hear what you need. You used the code. And then you're not there. So a person should not say Shema and its blessings and then walk away and say, I'll get to davening later. Like this morning, this has serious halachic implications, by the way. This morning, I had to drive carpool. So my kids, I drive carpool every Monday. The kids have to be in school by 7.45. Our first diving is 6.30. Our second diving is 7.30. 7.30 is definitely out. But even the 6.30, I got to be at the house by 7.05, 7.10 to get to school by 7.45 with the one pickup of the other family. So right now, this year, the way it goes is I have to leave diving right in the middle. I finished my essay, I have to leave right in the middle. It's important to know when is it kosher to leave. Like, besides what we spoke about in the words of whiskey, if you, I mean, um, the... You, you can't leave in the middle of a system, right? Just like you can't, um, you don't stop playing until the piece is over, right? <laughs> and if you choose to play a second piece because it's, a, it's, it's some kind of medley, that's a different story, right? But there is a piece and you can't leave in the middle. So if you've started davening from Baruch Shamar, Ashrei, Yishtabach, and then into the Blessings of Shema, it's not, there's no time to break, do anything else until after Shemonesri. It's one system, it's one flow. Now, the truth is that Hallel kind of belongs to that flow also when there's Hallel. So I said Hallel to myself as the, as the Chazam was repeating the Shemonesri, and I hit the road. And I was able, thank God, to get back 
for the second minion's total reading and listen. Okay? That's, that's a cool thing. That worked out well oh, today. Wow. Okay? So yeah, in a certain sense, I missed nothing. It, it, it was long today. Yeah, it was long today because the davening is longer because this time of year, the second group has to start a little late because the first group has to start later because of the sun because of the sunrise. Be that as it may, it worked out for me. Okay? But it worked out because there isn't a required flow. Most of it is its own freestanding thing. I left when I could leave. There was no moment before that I could have left. And the kids made it to school on time and everything worked out, thank God. Except the traffic is very bad on the way back okay, at this time of year. More people and where the sun rises, there's very bad traffic. Okay, when you're, when you're driving east in the morning, it's, it's, it's very tough. So, so Rashi tells us that the whole thing going on here is, first of all, some hint of verses. And the second thing going on here is this imagery of the king coming to the door. But the trick is it still doesn't answer the question about why does that give you a... It's good that it makes it more effective in your prayer. But why does it give you a ticket to the next world? Why should a person who does this be considered righteous? Okay, that's a good question. That's addressed by Rabbeinu Yonah. Rabbeinu Yonah, who was a great ethical writer and a great halachic writer and everything great, has comments on the side of the of the halachic discussion of the riff in the pages of Masech the Brachas. Okay, you think the Torah is a small thing? There's a lot to learn. There's a lot to learn. So, here Rabbi Yonah says, who is a person of the next world? This is a person who connects redemption to davening at night. And he asks, well, just because you make smichas gul you go and connect this redemption prayer, therefore, you said such great reward that you're a person of the next world? And he says, my Rebbe said, the reason that you get such great reward is because when the blessed, when the Holy One blessed be, he took us out of Mitzrayim, it was in order that we should be for him servants. As the, pers- as the verse says, Ki avadaihim, they are my servants. When did they become my servants? When I took them out of Egypt. By virtue of I taking them out of Egypt, they're indebted to me. And in the blessing of Gaal Yisrael, we mentioned the chesed, the kindness that the Creator has done with us. And prayer is service. Because the Talmud told us that that's the language of the Torah expresses where you have to pray is va'avadtem, you should serve. Therefore, when you mention the redemption from Egypt, and you dive in immediately after, you, you demonstrate that just as a servant who was acquired by his master must do the word of his master, so too you recognize and acknowledge the great kindness that God did for you, and then you serve him. And once you serve him, and you show that you're his servant, because he redeemed you, and you do his will and his mitzvahs, it ends up that on account of that you get the merit of the next world. Meaning, it's a model. It's a model. You're an acknowledger. I can't tell you how often I meet people who say something about how they believe in God or that was a miracle or whatever it is. But they do not interpret that to be to obligate them in anything. How can it not obligate anything? Then it's just trivia. It's just trivia. It has to be that if you acknowledge that the Almighty took you out of Egypt... You acknowledge that the Rebbe let's say, does kindness for you, whatever it may be, and that's what's happening in the first one. You then act upon it. 
And the first acting of acting on it is to daven. So this is not davening as asking for stuff. It is it, that's what davening is. But this is seeing davening as service of Hashem. And if you take the inspiration of gratitude into therefore performance, you will merit the next world. This is not the whole story. It's part of the story that, that leads you to be a servant of Hashem. And a servant of Hashem merits the next world. That's the first answer of Rabbeinu Yonah. The second answer is, he now quotes another Rebbe and he says, another reason. And this moves me very deeply. I, I've spoken about it not fewer than 20 times in Shul. In fact, I basically speak about it every year on the seventh day of Pesach. Because when you mention the redemption from Egypt and you daven immediately, you show that you trust God. Because if you will ask from somebody something, it demonstrates that you believe that that somebody can provide it. Because a person does not ask anything from somebody who can't provide it. Okay, you don't find the poorest guy you ever met and say, you know, we're, we're thinking about building a new building. Maybe you could give a million dollars. Okay, when you ask, and it's, it's, it's actually, it's just a cute point. Sometimes you'll, in a fundraising environment, somebody will say to you, I'm honored that you asked me for that much money. You think I have that kind of money, right? They do have that kind of money, they probably. They just don't want to give it. But, you know, it's, like, it's like it's always said, it's like it's always said that the good news is that there's enough money in the room for the project. The bad news is it's still in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but people are coming with it. You are showing that you believe in Hashem. If you're going to say the author of health, the author of wealth, the author of my own well-being, and so on and so forth, is you. And how do you demonstrate it? You demonstrate that because you're asking for it from Him. So, he goes on to, to, to quote some other sources, and he says that this is... What we are showing that we believe, we, we said, the Jewish people saw the great hand of God that he did against the, against the Egyptians. And all the nation feared him. And they believed in Hashem. Now that you mention this very redemption, that our forefathers believed in Hashem, and he, and he saved them. And then you go and pray immediately, it ends up that you show that you also are believing in him. And you believe that Hashem will answer you. Just as he answered the Jewish people because they believed in him. And on account of that, you go and you mention redemption, you're worthy of belief, and you ask, and that trust in Hashem, that's the essence of yira and emunah, of fear of God and, and belief in Hashem. And therefore, a person will merit through this to get to the next world. Because he's living his life as a, somebody who believes in Hashem, and that Hashem is the provider. This is, by the way, why we find very often that at the end of some set of requests, Within the thank you, there's another request. It's a very big idea, huge idea. We ask Sim Shalom at the end of Shimon Esrei, but the period of, of, of request was supposed to be in the middle of Shimon Esrei. The end is supposed to be thanks. So what are you asking for peace again? Because if I acknowledge that my wife, let's say, is doing for me every day, and that without her, I would not have all the things that I have because she provides for me and this, that, and the other thing. So if I don't believe that tomorrow was dependent on her, do I really believe that yesterday was dependent on her? Think about that for a second. Tomorrow is dependent. I know with humility that you're the provider. 
You can't therefore say, tomorrow I'll do it alone. No, I, I believe I can't do it alone. I never did it alone. When I say to you, I know you're the one who gave it to me. So ironically, a request for future giving to me is great evidence of my recognition that you're the provider of what I had till now. Some people are, are uncomfortable. They're going to give them so much, I should ask for more. And I, I, I understand that. One man came to me one time, he said, I cannot relate to davening because I'm so well off in life. So what am I supposed to ask him for? It was a very meaningful thing. He really meant it. And I said to him, first of all, how do you feel about just coming to Shul to thank Hashem? Ignore all parts of requests. He said, well, that resonates with me. I said, so let's talk about it again in a month. Just come to Shul and thank Hashem. So then later on, I said to him, now that you've been thanking Hashem, don't you realize that everything until now, what about tomorrow? You still need help from Hashem, right? And he understood that. He saw that. So if you live your life like that, then you'll go to the next world. And the whole, all of life will be influenced by that. So the idea is that it seems like a small thing to go from Gaal Yisrael and say, you're the one, you're the one, Tati, you're the one who gave to me, you're the one who gave to me. But to go straight from that into, please heal me, to go straight from that into, please provide for me, right? Yesterday's health was dependent on tomorrow's health is dependent on you. Yesterday's wealth was dependent on you, and tomorrow's wealth is dependent on you. By the way, you, you never lived in a better time to see that yesterday, if, you, if you have wealth yesterday, it's not guaranteed you have wealth tomorrow. Okay, I know a lot of people who are truly poor, truly destitute, who were private jet guys, you know, in the 90s. I'm serious. I know people, like, a whole bunch of people like that. So, living life like that will be a, will be, will lead you to the next world. If you live with that kind of humility. So it seems small, but to say thank you should include, therefore, to say, I need you tomorrow also. And for that, for that there's merit. That's a big idea. That's a very big idea. Just to close, yeah, go ahead. What page is that? Well, this is hard. Right. This is Rabbeinu Yona on the riff in the back no, of the Talmud. No, I understand. Oh, the Talmudic page? Yeah. Was 4B. No, no. Oh, same one. Brachos 4B, and this is the commentary along oh, that, that line. With it. Yeah, okay. but, but it's not on 4B in the back. I understand. Yeah, okay. If you want to know in the pages of the riff, it's on 2B. Okay. 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 So now I just want to conclude like this. The bottom line is that the halacha is that we have to go from Gali as well right into Shimon Esrei morning and night. But in the night, it's much less stringent, because, which stands to reason because at night was not the real redemption. The real redemption was in the morning. That's when we left. And the halachic ramification of that, just by, by interest, okay, it's much more applicable to men, but it could be applicable to women, but, it's, but the, the learning is applicable to all. If a, man, if, if a person comes to davening late in the morning, this applies to men and women both, actually. You come to davening late in the morning, and you see that the congregation is holding in Shema. So what do you do? It, now, first of all, refer to rule number one, which is do whatever you want. I'm here to tell you what the books say, but as far as it applies to you, I don't mean to say you must do it like this. Rather, do whatever you want. Okay, but, but, the, but the, what I mean is, what does the law yield? So there's a few priorities all in play. There's the priority of Smichas Gulatvila, this Shema, Gal Yisrael, that's one notion. There's another priority of davening with the congregation. The definition of davening with the congregation is meaning saying the silence when necessary at the same time as the congregation. So those are two different things in play. What do you prioritize? So in the morning, the obligation of smichas is absolute. 
and you have to therefore start earlier. And even though you'll miss davening at the congregation, you go, now's not our discussion. What do you do when you're late? How, what do you skip? And so that's a different conversation. But you have to do, must go from Gula Tvila into Shemonesri. At night, if a man walks into Marav late, and there's not enough time to say the brachas and the Shema and the brachas after, and then say Shemonesri, at night, the higher priority is to daven with the congregation. Now there's a lot of Talmudic underpinnings to why that yield is that way, but we learned enough to understand that since one, the essential Geula happens in the morning, that yields that that rule can never be violated. But the other one, which is secondary, in terms of choosing which thing you do, so that the sages of the, the, the postkim determined that it's greater for the prayer efficacy to pray with the congregation than it would be for smichas gula But of course, one should avoid this and always be a davening on time. One last point. You'll know that in today's Rosh Chodesh, okay? So when it's Rosh Chodesh, it's very important to learn the rules of any society, even how our small society is. So my kids were surprised by something this morning, which was we were driving on a five-lane or six-lane street. And in the far left lane from where I was, was the oncoming traffic at that curb. There was a bus, there, there was a school bus, and it put out its stop sign. And I was 50 feet away from it on the other side, and I stopped before, before going past the bus. Kids were like, why do you have to stop there? I said, because it's not legal to pass a bus on the same street either direction. They were surprised by that because I really was super far away from the bus, right? So you got to know the rules of, every, of, every, of everything. So you may notice sometimes on Rosh Chodesh, what happens is you come to Shemona Esrei and the Chazan says, Baruch HaTashem Gal Yisrael. And then what does the rabbi or gabbai or whatever do if it's Rosh Chodesh? He goes like this. Okay. It has an irreplaceable Yiddish word, clap. There is no, there is no English or Hebrew word to replace the word clap. Claps on the bima. Okay, the clap is to get your attention. Say yalo v'yavo. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't he proclaim say yalo v'yavo? Because you're not allowed to talk. At mar of the halacha is you can say the words yalo v'yavo there. At mincha, of course you can. There's nothing going on there. At mincha, it's silliness if you see a gabba go like this. Just say the words yalo v'yavo. There's no flow issue here. But in the morning you can't say the words, so that's why we. That's why. That's why. That's why it goes like that. I always wondered yeah. about that. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, we're going to stop here. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.